All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you on this, the uh, 25th day of October, 2016. Uh, I'm really happy to be here today again, and I want to remind you, as I do every week, uh, that uh, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, my partner Chen Lin publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to learn more about what Chen and I do, and also uh, to sign up for both of those newsletters. I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are New Legacy Gold Corp., Novo Resources, Klondike Gold, RN Resources, and Ariane Phosphate. Well, I'm really pleased that three of those sponsors that I just named, Novo Resources, RN Resources, and Klondike Gold, will be with me at the Metals Investor Forum to be held at the Rosewood, Georgia Hotel in downtown Vancouver. That's on uh, the uh, Saturday, November 12th and Sunday, November 13th. Now, Novo and RN are my number one and number two personal holdings. Uh, in my retirement account, and Klondike is also one of my favorites there as well because I think that that company definitely has a shot at discovering the mother load for the massive placer gold that's been mined over decades uh, in the great Klondike region in Yukon. So I, I think, uh, actually, we're going to have Peter Talman, who is the president of Klondike, is going to be on the show next week uh, to update us. And the company should have some really, uh, well, we'll see what the drill results are like, but I'm I'm expecting they should be pretty good. Uh, and uh, Peter will explain why they're important and, and what that is telling, what those drill results are telling them with respect to their search for the mother load uh, in the great Klondike gold, uh, gold region. But getting back to the Metals Investor Forum, uh, in addition to RN, Klondike, and Novo Resources, other companies that I invited and which I own and recommend in my newsletter that will be at the conference are Latin American Minerals, Ascot Resources, Golden Predator Mining Corp., and PPX Mining. And all told, there are going to be something like 30 companies there. You know, what makes this uh, forum, I think, special and makes it the best mining show that I've attended and have been a part of, and believe me, over the last 30 years, I've been a part of many mining shows, uh, it's the fact that the newsletter writers who are part of this are newsletter writers that write specifically for their paid subscribers. In other words, we're not paid hired guns to promote companies. So there is an objectivity there, I think, that Eric Coffin, uh, Joe Masmander, 
John Kaiser, Jordan, Roy Byrne, Gwen Preston, and myself bring into the forum that are important. I mean, if, if you're getting paid a lot of money to say nice things about people, you'll probably say them. If you're independent, uh, it probably carries more weight. So that's one of the things that makes this conference, I think, very positive and, and very useful to investors. Uh, the companies uh, have to be invited. Companies can't just show up there with a with a big uh, you know with a big check and say let me in the door. No, they have to be invited by the newsletter writers. Uh, and then I also think that the attendees at these shows generally are the, well they are the subscribers to the newsletter writers and people connected to the newsletter writers such as people listening to this show. Uh, people that have an interest in the mining sector and know something about it. Uh, that also helps to improve the forum, I, I think, and make it the best forum that I've ever been ever been a part of. And uh, Eric Coffin um, and uh, is really a, a co-founder of that, and he's been on this show, uh, as well as Scott Gibson, and they've just done a remarkable job. So I hope that you will uh, be able to attend, if you're anywhere near the Vancouver downtown area on the 12th and 13th of November, uh, go to miningstocks.com or Media. Mining Stocks or J. Taylor Media, just click on the banner, uh, the banner that's there, the Metals Investor Forum banner, put your name and email in there, and you will secure a place. Uh, there are, the space is limited, so it's important that you pre-sign, uh, that, you pre, uh, that you sign up for this show before you go there, uh, so you're sure that you'll get in the door. Um, just like to mention, I guess we should just move on. We have very limited time, so let's move on to today's show. I've titled it Harvesting Profits from This Secular Gold Bull Market. Michael Oliver, John Rubino, Rick Rule, all returned guests are with us today. Michael Oliver uh, will be with me just momentarily, and I want to see how much time we might have yet uh, as we sort of uh, move sideways in this gold market. How much time might we have before the next run in the bull market starts? John Rubino uh, will be uh, with me a little later to provide his outlook on the, on the gold markets, financial markets, uh, and specifically some of the things that Jim Rickards is talking about. The reason why he believes the dollar is heading down, uh, and very in the very near future. So we want to see what John Rubino's thoughts are with respect to Rickards' thesis, and then Rick Rule of Spot of Sprott U.S. Holdings will be with me in the last segment of today's show to talk about uh, the company Sprott. Inc. Uh, uh, it is one a very important company, one that I've recently added to my newsletter, one I've invested in. Uh, it's a remarkable company that's done extremely well in bull markets, gold bull markets in the past, uh, and uh, they have tons of cash, no debt, uh, and they're paying a 5.5% dividend while you wait for the next major move. So this is one I've become very, very impressed with, and Rick Rule uh, will talk about that as well during the final segment. Well, in the meantime, we are very fortunate to have Michael Oliver with us, and uh, thanks for joining me again, Michael. I'm glad to be back, Jake. Michael, in your weekend missive, you said, we suggest gold bulls restrain their price chart fears and pause to take in the larger positive vista. Now, your momentum chart illustrated in the pictures that uh, is in your newsletter, your remarkable newsletter, uh, it, it really you know, told the story very well, I think. But can you put in words, perhaps, for our listeners what you were saying in your both price charts and momentum charts that you sent out to your subscribers this past weekend? Well, it, most people think of technical analysis as price chart analysis, and that is the orthodoxy. Um, we don't do it that way. We look at price charts, we have respect for them, but usually at significant turns, tops, bottoms, uh, pullback points, uh, corrections, and so forth, momentum gives you a far better 
definition of where the support is, where resistance is, where breakouts are, uh, and earlier than does the price chart. Usually a price chart will break out, you know, 5 or 10% higher from a low or 5 or 10% lower off of a high before you can realize it's turned than does a momentum chart. So our mm-hmm. emphasis is on momentum, and it's, it's kind of hard to explain in words, but we plot them like a price chart. It's, it's bars plotted on a graph, uh, in re- but the, the bars are plotted in relation to a mean, a long-term average, for example, a three-year average, a three-quarter average. And you get a different vista when you look at the momentum chart than you do when you look at the price chart. Therefore, when the break started, uh, uh, excuse me, three weeks ago when the break was nearing its end, down near 1240 on gold spot, uh, I could look at the long-term momentum charts that had been broken out above back in February, way before price ever indicated it was breaking out to the upside, uh, probably $100 before price became evident that it was turned up. Uh, we've returned to those breakout levels on momentum. And sure enough, uh, what we prescribed week by week since that low three weeks ago was that what needed to happen was a gelling process, not some sharp turnaround. It was unlikely we would see that. Sure enough, that's not Mm -hmm. what we've seen. We've seen a gelling process, a slight firming, and now suddenly we're 3% off the low. Mm -hmm. Uh, We traded at 77 today with the low at $37 off the low three weeks ago. No big deal, but it's the way that it looked like it needed to turn, and it turns. the turning action occurred in an area on momentum that made sense. In other words, if if you looked at the momentum chart and we're, we're a price chart, you'd say, oh, that makes sense where it stopped. On a price chart, it doesn't make any sense where it stopped. Therefore, people thought, oh, it's going to keep going. Uh, price is often misleading. That's our main message. Uh, but yeah. from a momentum perspective, it said, cool it. We're in a bull trend. This is a sharp pullback in a bull trend, and this bull trend is by no means time or price-wise over with. Mm-hmm. So you think we're getting close, Michael, to a, to a breakout here? Is it hard to say on, on the timing? I would say that uh, probably over the next week or two, we'll, we'll have a better sense in our we'll, we update every week, sometimes intra-week, in terms of numbers. We're toying mm-hmm. with some numbers now this week at the highs today. That uh, If you can close the week out here, especially the month, that's next Monday, uh, it looks like it's got its elbow up over the curb. Mm-hmm. That's the way to define it. In other words, it got knocked down. It's now getting itself back up. Again, we don't expect a bottle rocket right away. The thing I'd look at more so right now is the euro. Uh, the mm-hmm. dollar has really not had a big weighty influence on gold. Some people have noticed that. Uh, the dollar index, for example, in February was at 97. Well, gold was at 1050 late last year and ran up to 1370. Well, the dollar index basically went sideways with some oscillations. So it hasn't been a negative so much for gold. But if dollar flips back down, and I think it could... Uh, it's right now. It's at night. The dollar index is 98.60s. You close the day out at about 98.20. I think they're going down, and the euro is going up. In which case, that could give some more wind to gold. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's one arena of the four asset categories. You know, stocks, commodities, uh, debt markets, and foreign exchange. That the foreign exchange arena, particularly the euro and the dollar, are the most sedate major markets in the world right now, and have yeah. been all year. And I think when they wake up, it's going to make some noise. And I think they, they could very well be about to if the dollar will mm-hmm. just roll over modestly and the euro uptick modestly. I think we mm-hmm. could get that rolling. And mm-hmm. that, I think, with some wind at the back of gold. 
Well, very interesting, and also you have uh, you've turned more bullish on commodities in general, and you have uh, you track the Bloomberg Commodity Index, and I think that is also starting to look like it could be breaking out on the upside. Well, there's uh, several days left in the month, and it's uh, much higher than it needs to be to have a breakout breakout close. Uh-huh. I want to see it close this month like uh, 84, 58, I think was my number. It's above 86 right now. And all it's got to do is just hang around, and this monthly close will, in my view, turn annual momentum of the commodity index, the whole basket, upside. Mm-hmm. And I think the consequence of that will be a rush probably in the next six months to the upside in commodities more broadly. Uh, so far this year, the, the, the strength has primarily been in gold, silver, and oil, and sugar. Uh, a lot of the food commodities have been either down, uh, going down, or basing, and I think they're about to join in. And the, in other words, the back end of the of the crowd is about to wake up, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I think the grains and so forth could could be quite stellar this, the, over the next year, and that could mm-hmm. be the factor that helps blow the boom, Bloomberg out of a, out of the hole. Yeah. You know, Michael, it's very interesting. Uh, we've had Don Cox on this show a couple of weeks ago, a very very well known analyst in Canada, and Don was talking really about um, you, you know about how uh, he sees a lot of softness in in the soft commodities because of oversupply. But I I, I don't mention that. Uh, simply because I want to have a discussion on that. We don't have time as much as I'd like. But uh, but the fact that fundamental analysts a lot of times see things a certain way, and then you you also have the ability to look at things like that as well, but you're really allowing the, the your technical work to, to guide you and tell you which way things are going, even though you know you might think they should go in another direction sometimes, right? Well, my opinion on the fundamentals is that at the bottom it never looks good. Yeah, uh-huh. By nature, it can't look good. Doesn't yeah, look you good. just feel like you never want to get into things again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. the supply, demand issues as they measure them in various ways will always look nasty at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's the first third of, of a three-wave bull market, for example, is almost always 90% caused by short covering or buyers who find that it's a vacuum. Why? Because yeah. the market is sold out. It's gone too excessive on the downside. So even if supply is negative in relation to demand, perhaps the price of that given commodity is just too low anyway, even, in, even, even given the negative fundamentals, so-called. Then there's the other factor, investor uh, desire to allocate resources to an area they feel good about. Mm-hmm. And if something is bombed out, it doesn't hurt them anymore, and it looks like it's turning, more and more people will move into it, and when they start to make money, their friends start to join in, and all of a sudden you've shifted investor preferences. And that's when you get that whoosh moment that you that's like to you call it sometimes. Effect. All right. Well, anyway, we'll have to let it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us again. Always a pleasure. Folks, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Go there to learn about more about Michael's work. Uh, it is a premium service, I must tell you that. But, uh, you know, if you're, a, if you're a serious investor, you may want to consider subscribing to Michael's work. Thanks so much for being with us again, Michael, and look forward to doing it again as soon as possible. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Well, that is all the time we have for this segment. Uh, Coming up next, John Rubino right after the break. And John's going to have some interesting things to say about the dollar, uh, the potential collapse of the dollar, and what might cause that and what that might mean for the price of gold. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino.
Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have John Rubino with me once again. And you can learn more about John's work. Keep up with his ongoing posts that are there and his articles that he writes at dollarcollapse.com, dollarcollapse.com. John has been the author of a number of books. He co-authored a couple of books with a couple of different people, The Collapse of the Dollar, uh, with James Turk is probably the first and uh, the, the probably the best known book, perhaps uh, that John has written and been a part of. But um, we uh, want to thank John for being with us again. Thanks for joining me jo- today, John. Hey Jay, thanks for having me back. You know the uh, flip inside uh, the flip cover inside the book. It stated the dollar is in trouble. Its value in foreign exchange markets has been falling for the past six years, and now its gradual decline is about to become a rout. This spells big trouble for the American economy, but potential riches for smart investors. The collapse of the dollar and how to profit it, profit from it. Financial gurus James Turk and John Rubino show how the dollar arrived at this at this precipice, uh, why it will continue to plunge, and how you can profit from the resulting financial crisis. Well, John, that was back in 2008, November. So it's uh, what eight years ago or something like that. And we're still seeing the dollar is sort of king dollar. So I would like to ask you, the, could you talk about the basic premise of your book? And do you think it's still pretty much valid? Or having lived through eight years yet with the dollar still and stock markets reaching new highs and, and at least the one percenters feeling like they're on top of the world, mm-hmm. are we, um, you know, w- what is your take? Would you write something different if you could go back in time and write it? With what you know now, write it in 2008. Yeah, I'd say we were a little premature back in 2008, Jay. But uh, the timing, the the pro- yeah, timing is everything in investing. Actually, in and 
in our defense, the investment thesis of the book was that um, that gold was going to soar as the dollar went down in value, and uh, stocks, especially financial stocks like bank stocks, were classic short sale candidates. And those turned out to be two of the best investment ideas of that decade. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you'd done what we said in the book, you you came out just fine. But the dollar never did collapse. And so since that time, actually, when, when James and I were writing that book, we wrote the original version of it in 2004. And our biggest worry was that everything would fall apart before we got the book out. <laughs> and that was 2004. Uh-huh. And, you know, the reason we were so worried is that the uh, the numbers had just gotten crazy. You know, the amount of debt in the world back then. Yeah was gargantuan. The amount of money that was being created by central banks was off the charts, and and the uh, the amount of leverage being used by big financial players was at really what looked like catastrophic levels. And you know, the world almost did end in 2008, mm-hmm. 2009, but they, they saved it. And this gives us a couple of really important lessons, both as investors and, you know, observe, as observers of the financial world. And the first is that bubbles always go on a lot longer than you, than you think they should. Um, no matter what bubble it is, the tech stock bubble, which looked like it should have burst in, in you know, 1998, went till 2000 before it blew up. The housing bubble in the U.S., you know, I, I wrote a book about the housing bubble in 2003 in the U.S., mm-hmm. and it didn't burst until 2007. So bubbles always just go on longer than you think, and that's just the nature of them. And in this particular bubble, though, uh, there, there's something bigger at work, and that is the fact that the entire world, every major government now, has an effectively unlimited printing press because they're all running fiat currencies, which is to say currencies that exist by government decree or fiat rather than because of um, a linkage to something real like gold or some other uh, real asset that exists in limited quantity and therefore controls the, uh, the ability of government to create currency. So with every major government in the world able to create as much new currency as they want to, that's allowed them to basically leverage the world for a a complete new cycle. They've been able to take on what is looking like $100 trillion of new debt since Mm. the 2008-2009 crisis um, without fixing anything. You know, the big banks are still huge. They still have gargantuan derivatives books. The the financial sector is still grossly over-leveraged. Consumers still have way too much debt. Governments now have record debt. So basically what we have done is taken the world of 2004, let's say, and leveraged it to the hilt. From there, it was already an over-leveraged world. And we are now vastly more leveraged and therefore more fragile than we were back then. So this is still going to blow up. You know, I think you'll be able to take a lot of what was said in uh, the coming collapse of the dollar and just add some zeros to the charts and and, and still get a, a valid, timely message because all that has happened in the past 10 years is that we borrowed a whole lot more money and mm-hmm. kept ourselves afloat that way. So, you know, in that sense, the the world is like the family down the street where somebody loses a job, but instead of scaling back their lifestyle, they just put it on credit cards, you know, and, and eventually they run out of borrowing capacity on their credit cards and then the repo man comes and takes all their stuff away. Well, the, the world is heading for that point. And, you know, I, I'm reluctant to um, to make any kind of specific timing predictions <laughs> based on my record. <laughs> but but it does feel like we're getting close just because, the you know, first of all, the numbers seem 
impossible. You know, we can't have this much debt, and yet we do. So that means in finance, when something can't happen, um, it, it eventually has to stop happening. And so we're, we're getting there with, with finance. And then we're also seeing the world's governments recognize that what they've been doing hasn't worked. And so they're getting ready to double down. All the world's central banks are getting ready to push interest rates even further down into negative territory, with the exception of the U.S. Fed, which will probably have to join that bandwagon in 2017. Governments are, are, are considering massive new deficit spending programs. So we're going to go back to that well and eventually, probably this time, but um, you know, there's no way to know for sure, it's, it's going to be obvious to everybody that it's not working and it's causing more problems than it's solving. And then everybody loses faith in the system. That's out there. And when it happens is impossible to predict, but it feels like that day is coming a lot closer. It's just hard for me, John, to get my head around what could stop it. I mean, what they've already, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars have been created out of nothing. What's to stop them? I mean, the only thing I can think of is nobody can perceive of what these numbers are. They're so high. But what is to stop these guys from, you know, 100 trillion to 100 trillion billion godzillion? You know, I mean, what what is to stop these these idiots from continuing to, because what they're really doing, the people at the top of the pyramid are redistributing wealth from the, from the peons. You know, I like to say the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, the people that actually create things that we use that make our lives better in some material sense. They are out there. They are being squeezed, squeezed, and squeezed. Uh, and yet, the guys that run the printing presses, what's to stop them? What in the physical universe is going to stop these guys from behaving this way. Because, John, I agree with you. Going back to when you wrote your book, I thought, yeah, it has to be very close. Ron Paul's talked about it on this show in the past. He's been amazed at how long they can keep this thing going. And I'm just trying to get my head around what sort of things could actually cause the collapse. Now, I know, and I want to ask you about this. Jim Rickards has some ideas here about why the dollar is nearing its end. But he's not suggesting by any means that fiat currency is over. I mean, the Chinese are per, perhaps printing more money than the United States. Uh, and, and, you know, and a lot of these other countries are creating huge amounts of money out of nothing, too. So is, is, it, is it possible that maybe the United States takes a hard knock, but we have, you know, a one-world government or some sort of one global printing press that continues this thing going for much longer. Well, well, Jay, two things about that. One is that bubbles always look bulletproof until they're not. You know, they always mm. blow up for some reason. So this one isn't immune to the laws of economics and finance. It'll blow up eventually. And the, the question is then what will cause it? And there, there are a lot of possible catalysts out there. You know, one of them is, is politics. More and more people are starting to figure out that um, the system isn't working for them anymore. As, as you said, it's, it's turned into a way to basically harvest the 99% for the 1%. They're sucking uh -huh. our savings out of bank accounts and into assets like stocks and bonds that mostly rich people own. And, and so people are more and more willing to vote for iconoclastic politicians, Donald Trump here, Bernie Sanders here, Marine Le Pen in France, Nigel Farage in, in Britain. These are guys who will tear the system up. Mm -hmm. And that 
could bring about an end to the um, you know the fiat currency fractional reserve banking credit bubble system that has been in place really since World War II, or actually since 1971 when Nixon took us off the the last vestiges of the gold standard. Right. Um, but beyond politics, there's lots of things that could go wrong. You know, Deutsche Bank has a derivatives book that is um, a book of bets made by financial institutions with each other about all kinds of things like interest rates and currency fluctuations that um, on, on the surface in notional value is not just bigger than the entire German economy, it's bigger than the entire European economy. And Deutsche Bank's stock is down from 100 a few years ago to the mid-teens today because it's, it's so badly managed that, uh, that it's running into all kinds of trouble where it has to lay people off and take big losses and more and more people are working about it and the right to be worried it could be the systemic shock that is, is like Lehman Brothers or AIG was back in 2008 something that if it's allowed to fail will take down the whole show with it so that's something also geopolitics you know we've got wars basically breaking out everywhere the Middle East is on fire um, and the US and Russia are, are trading threats that sound kind of World War III-like. And, and in the South China Sea, we've got battleships and aircraft carriers um, from the U.S. and China bumping up against each other and trading threats. So something like that, you know, any kind of a shooting war that involves us and another power would send a shockwave through the financial markets, which might cause this current money bubble to burst. You know, and then that's just three things. There, there are four or five other possible catalysts. Well, indeed. Well, with the time we have left yet, I'd like to pursue a couple of the ideas that James Rickards is uh, is touting about. And James will be on this show in, in a couple of weeks again, I believe. I, I don't know exactly. Sometime in the near future. Uh, but, you know, I, I was reading over some of his material this morning and, and partly in preparation for this, for this discussion, John. And, uh, you know, Rickards is talking about how the United States has had veto power at the IMF and they've had it for some time. However, the voting is changing and the power, uh, the balance of power at the IMF is changing. And he's suggesting that at the start of 2017, it will be uh, moving in favor of the BRICS, which, of course, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China are uh, adversarial countries uh, to a great extent, I, I guess some more than others. I mean, India, I, I've continue to see as sort of a neutral friend of the United States, perhaps, but Russia and uh, China, Brazil, uh, not all that friendly, and they have set about to compete with the U.S. dollar because we've had this privilege of the U.S. dollar, the reserve currency, uh, the hegemony of the U.S. dollar has been of great benefit. We've been able to live beyond our means as Americans for so many years because we've been able to force the rest of the world to accept dollars as the main reserve currency. But the BRICS have now set up their own development bank. Uh, they've, um, they're, they're really setting up their own undersea internet cable network to escape the wiretaps from the United States. The BRICS, uh, you know, at the most recent G20 meeting broke off uh, and had a mini summit of their own to, apart from the United States and um, you know and European countries, uh, to, for, to find out and figure out how they can force this veto reform at the IMF. And and you know another thing that we've had William Engdahl on this show talking about repeatedly: the New Silk Road, this gigantic uh, infrastructure of trading and commerce between. China, Russia, and India, the most India and China, the most populous countries in the world, 
uh, with uh, you know with all with the uh, railroads, highway systems, uh, shipping systems, and so forth, consolidating and competing against uh, what I call the Anglo-American Empire. You know, Rickards points out that 85% of trade outside the United States takes place in dollars. So now. If they're able to put something together like the SDR, which is what I think Jim Rickards is suggesting will happen, he's suggesting that the dollar could fall dramatically. And he, you know, he points out, he says, the reason we have $2 gas instead of $6 gas is because we have this world's reserve currency. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that, is that some, you think something like that could really turn the tables upside down for Americans and for the dollar? Is that a possible scenario for a dollar collapse? if not a global collapse. Yeah, yeah. When you, now, the, the dollar collapse thesis isn't the dollar falling against other currencies necessarily. It's the end uh-huh. of the whole concept of fiat currency. In other mm-hmm. words, everything collapses because it's, it's a flawed idea. And uh, the dollar will lead the collapse because it's the leading currency. But yeah, the, the U.S. having the world's reserve currency gives us immense power around the world. You know, we can finance the, a, a trillion dollar a year global military empire that bullies everybody. And so the rising powers in the world, China and Russia and India and a few others, would love to take us down a peg just because it's relative. You know, if we if we diminish in terms of the the power that we have to project and protect our interests around the world, they rise. And so, sure, that's that's part of their long-term plan. You know, they're selling their dollar-denominated investments pretty aggressively right now and replacing those investments with gold. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the, the probable plan is to back their currencies with gold to a greater and greater extent and make those currencies look more rock solid than the dollar and the euro and to an extent the yen uh, and in that way uh, uh, convince other people to hold those currencies as uh, reserve assets and trade with them and everything and give some of that power that the U.S. now enjoys um, to them. So it's it's a reasonable long-term plan and it's happening gradually right now but the way trends work is that something will happen a little bit then a little bit more then a little bit more then everybody figures out that that it's going to keep happening that way and they all act accordingly and the the asset just falls off the table or or soars depending on whether it's an up or down trend. Uh, that's probably in place for the dollar in the long run based on what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Jim Rickards' idea is that uh, we'll replace the dollar as the world's reserve currency with the SDR. Right, which is a special drawing right that's basically based on a basket of major currencies with the dollar and the euro and the yen and the yuan all all in there. Uh, so, which means it's as bogus as any other fiat currency because it's only made up of fiat currencies. So that's just a stopgap. And his later stage scenario is that the whole world figures out that devaluing their currencies against each other is a zero-sum game because somebody wins and somebody loses and then the loser has to respond in kind. But something they can all devalue against is gold. So we'll go back to a modified gold standard in which um, gold is a lot higher priced than it is now in terms of, for instance, dollars. You know, $10,000 an ounce gold, which means the dollar will be defined going forward as one ten-thousandth of an ounce of gold, Mm -hmm. which is what currencies used to be. They didn't used to exist independently. They were just names for given weights of gold. You know, the British pound and the the U.S. dollar were just... um, names for a, a given piece of gold or silver. All right, John, we'll I, I have to, 
John, John, I have to stop you at that because I want to ask you, we've got one minute left, uh, an article you recently wrote uh, that has to do with the uh, commitment of traders. Uh, you're suggesting that we may be coming close to a little better time. Gold has been trending sideways. Uh, tell us uh, what you see now with the commitment of traders. Yeah, that, that's a measure of what the players in the futures contract market are doing for gold. In other words, the paper players. And um, when the speculators get excited um, in either direction, whether they're long or short, they tend to be wrong. And so the, the market goes the other way. Well, lately, they've been incredibly long. The speculators have been overexcited, which means gold has to go down and, until the speculators um, change their mind and stop being long and start going short, at which case it's a good time to buy, at which point it's a good time to buy. And we're about halfway through that process. So based on the commitment of traders report as a historical indicator, gold and silver should fall a little more from here, but it should find a bottom pretty soon. And that's going to be a phenomenal entry point when and if it happens. All right. Well, thank you. We'll have to leave it go at that because we are out of time. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, uh, John. We'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Great. Thanks, Jay. Well, folks, don't go away because coming up next, Rick Rule will be with us to talk about Sprott, Inc. It's a remarkable company. It's paying 5.5% dividends, tons of cash on its balance sheet, no debt, and it's made tons of money in the past in bull markets for gold. So you might want to consider what Rick Rule has to say right after the other side of the, of the commercial break. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Rule. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more newlegacygold.com that's n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com again n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining-friendly Quebec and, once in production, will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and D-R-R-S-F in the U.S. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Rick Rule. He is the president and CEO of Sprott U.S. Holdings. Rick is well known from, uh, from his speaking engagements at numerous investment conferences. He, of course, has been on this show a number of times as well. He's also uh, frequently on television, both in the United States and Canada. He is best known for his investment successes in the resource sectors, both with respect to oil and gas as well as mining. And so his merger with his recent merger a few few years back with Toronto-based Sprott organization makes complete sense in that Sprott is, without a doubt, the best investment firm in the natural resource space. With uh, people like Michael Oliver, and last week we had uh, Don Cox on this show providing all of the evidence we need to believe that we are in a new bull market for precious metals and commodities, there is no better time than now to welcome Rick Rule to the show, once again to help us become familiar with some of the services that Sprott can provide for listeners to the show. Welcome, Rick. It's really good to have you with me again. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's really good to talk to you and, and to pick your brain uh, because nobody has, uh, few people have been more successful than you, I think, in uh, over the years, over long periods of time in the, in the uh, precious metals, uh, well, in the commodity space in general. I, I'd like you to talk a little bit, Rick, about some of the services that Sprott can provide. And um, thank you very much for inviting me as, long, as well as some other newsletter writers to, uh, to a day up in Sprott's office to learn about your services. And I, I came away quite excited about the prospects, and that's why I wanted to have you on to talk to my listeners about you know, ways they can benefit in this bull market for commodities. Now, Sprott trades uh, down here in the United States that you can buy, in, investors can buy it under the symbol uh, SPOXF. Uh, it trades uh, recently. I saw it trading at about a dollar seventy in U.S. funds. You can buy it in Canada as well, uh, under the symbol SII. And uh, but what it really impresses me is that um, well, you know, people are really looking for yields these days. It's very difficult to get yields given the ma- manipulation of interest rates by the central banks, and so people are going out on the risk curve looking for. They're just taking on more and more risk, looking for some kind of returns. Well, Sprott is providing something like a five percent. Uh, yield right now, which is pretty darn good compared to many other places. So, Rick, I'd like to ask you, though, to talk a little bit about Sprott itself, and, and then I'd like you to talk about some of the products that Sprott uh, provides, uh, especially for our listeners, I think, exchange-listed services. But talk to us a little bit about Sprott itself. What is the business of Sprott, uh, and, and how are you uh, able to provide uh, such a good yield in, in a market that hasn't really done all that well yet? Well, I, I think it's important to know, first of all, that uh, Sprott uh, is, we style ourselves as an alternative asset manager. That is, we are money managers for third parties, institutions, and high net worth retail. And our focus isn't on large general securities markets. We manage in excess of $10 billion and have another about $2 billion under administration. And uh, about 90% of that, I think, is in natural resources or precious metals. So really what we are is a natural resources and precious metals-oriented asset manager. I think we should note at the beginning of the discussion uh, that the name Sprott is important because the business, the largest shareholder, and by the way, the largest client of Sprott is a guy named Sprott. The person whose name is on the door is the largest client, the largest shareholder, and provides adult supervision. And Eric Sprott, for 30 years, has been synonymous with small-cap growth stock picking and natural resource stock picking. 
He's also been very prominent as a critic of the way governments uh, spend money and the way the financial services business is capitalized itself. So it's important to know that Sprott eats its own cooking, Jay. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a $550 million Canadian market cap, and $300 million of that is in networking capital with no debt. Mm. When we as Sprott talk about the fact that we're concerned about leverage in the financial services community, it's important to note, first of all, that we eat, we eat our own cooking. And one of the reasons that we've been able to sustain our dividend is because we have no debt. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, we have a lot of cash. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why we have been able to excel in natural resources over the last 30 years is because most of what we do is natural resources. We uh, specialize. Outside of natural resources, of course, we're also a very large alternative credit provider where we directly underwrite loans to various businesses. And I would say outside of resources, our, cre our key, our key um, core competency is credit and credit analysis, which mm. is my own background. In terms of products, we have a wide variety of products. Your Canadian listeners and subscribers will know us for publicly traded Canadian mutual funds across a variety of alternative asset strategies, most prominently, of course, natural resources. U.S. investors will probably best know us for our physical precious metals trust, the Sprott Physical Gold Trust, the Physical Silver Trust, and the Physical Platinum and Palladium Trust. We administer about $4.5 billion in these New York Stock Exchange traded products. And I can say without qualification, I believe, that these are the finest investment vehicles in the world for U.S. taxpayers who want to be long physical metal without having physical possession. The best, because of their trust structure, uh, a successful investment will be taxed at the capital gains level rate rather than... Uh, the ordinary income rate, where you would be taxed if you own physical gold or if you own the gold ETF, GLD. Better than the other trusts because our trusts are redeemable. You can, in most circumstances, trade our units for physical metal, which mm. means they trade at large discounts to the underlying net asset values. Uh, in addition, uh, as you heard in Toronto, Jay, uh, Sprott offers two exchange-traded funds, which trade in the New York Stock Exchange, to international investors. The Sprott Gold Miners Trust, SGDM, and the Sprott Junior Gold Miners Trust, SGDJ. Um, we believe that these, because they're factors rather than market cap weighted exchange-traded funds, are the best investment products available to investors who don't want to do single stock picking, but rather want to participate in the beta for the whole sector. Mm -hmm. A good way to go, because uh, particularly for small stock investors, you don't get yourself involved in what could be liquidity traps and individual issues, things that you and I know a lot about. <laughs> oh, <And> yes. <laughs> having your money spread over, uh, spread over 35 or 40 issuers, you also don't uh, have the single company failure risk that other people have. Not as much fun, certainly, as single stock picking and looking for alpha in individual names. But the truth is, when you have a sector as volatile as the mining stock tech sector, where it can be up 100% in the year, capturing the beta in the trade is important, and that's what the ETFs are designed to do. In addition to that, for U.S. investors, uh, we have a wide variety of retail brokerage services. 
and money management services in the natural resource space, and in particular for accredited investors who want to participate alongside Sprott. It's important to note when I say alongside Sprott, that Sprott and its principles themselves participate in every financing that we generate. We believe that we are the largest private placement organizer in non-U.S. resource securities for U.S. resource investors. Uh, in other words, we, we originate and organize more private equity and debt placements for non-U.S. issuers than any of our competition. And as a consequence, have the best product calendar on offer for U.S. retail investors. As a stock, uh, I think we're an interesting speculation. Now, understand I'm talking my book. Yes. In fact, 40% of Sprott is owned by officers and directors, and 70% of stock is closely, of Sprott is, is fairly closely held. I myself own in excess of 10% of the issued and outstanding shares in the company, and I am an employee. The attractiveness of Sprott, I think, goes first to the brand, the Sprott brand. If you Google Sprott and Google Gold, the name association between precious metals and Sprott is extraordinary. What that means is that as we go further into the gold bull market, the ability of Sprott to benefit from the newfound attention in gold and natural resources is very high. And to give you an example of the leverage in that, Jay, yes, at the yes. top of the last bull market, 2010-2011, Sprott generated almost $300 million in free cash. Mm. Uh, at the bottom, we generated about $30 million in free cash. That's the sort of earnings leverage available to us in this circumstance. Put even more dramatically, if you look at the bottom of the last bear market, in 2000, uh, Sprott had about $120 million in performance fee generating assets under management. At the top of the last bull market in 2011, we had $5.6 billion. Mm. Assets under management increased from $120 million to $5.6 billion. Wow. At the bottom of the last bear, uh, bear market, uh, last year in 2015, mm -hmm. assets under management declined to about $1.6 billion. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that in this bull market, the bull market that we're entering into now, that our assets under management will grow 40-fold the way they did last time. But it wouldn't surprise me to see our performance fee earning assets increase by a factor of 10, mm -hmm. which could, I'm not saying it will, but could drive cash flow and hence dividends absolutely crazy. The leverage that you have in a natural resource bull market in Sprott may be unparalleled in terms of your ability to capitalize on a market without having to own the whole market. And by the way, get a five and a half percent dividend while you wait. Yeah, it's a, and and then to realize that the balance sheet is so strong, Rick. So you've got lots of cash to put to work as you start to see some some really good uh, some really good opportunities. And I guess you uh, have an eye though on when this bull market is over, because while bull markets in gold bring very large gains on the upside, the downside is very very painful. I was really privileged to meet up with Paul Wong up there in uh, your office there in Toronto, 
Paul is Sprott's senior portfolio manager, and he documented the correlation between declining real rates of interest and gold bull markets on the one hand, and on the other hand, how rising real rates of interest correlate with severe bear markets, in, especially in the gold mining shares. Well, Paul shows that during secular bull markets, gold shares rise by around 500%, probably more than that in the last three bull markets. But on the downside, uh, we um, give back 80% of the value of those shares. So it's very, very painful on the downside. Now, Sprott Inc. has weathered the storm remarkably well as it continued to generate cash flows and uh, in down markets and, and, and also to maintain a solid balance sheet and pay out dividends. Nonetheless, I know that you want to know when the exit time is near for gold shares so as to avoid giving back that 80% of your portfolio. You know, when I was in your office, someone asked Paul, how will we know when the real rate of interests are about to rise so that we can start to take our profits from the gold shares? And his answer was very simple. He said, you, what we need to do is keep an eye on the real global GDP growth, because once the global GDP growth starts to, uh, uh, starts to occur, we can probably expect real rates of interest uh, to start to rise and, and then triggering a bear market in gold shares. So I have to ask you, Rick, are we anywhere near global GDP growth? I don't think we are. It's uh, it's an important question for Sprott because although we're known for precious metals, we operate across the whole commodity space. And GDP growth would lead to commodity price increases across the board, which we haven't seen yet. With uh, you know specific regards to the precious metals markets, uh, I, I agree with you that we're in the early stages of a bull market. In terms of the timing question, you'll recall Bernard Baruch said the only guy who absolutely bought at the bottom and sold at the top was a liar. <laughs> I don't think that I'm smart enough to get the whole move. Yeah. But I do believe that what Paul Wong has said with regards to the interplay between gold and in particular uh, real interest rates in U.S. 10-year Treasury securities, that there's an absolute correlation. And I, I think, as I think you do, Jay, that the, the stage has been set for a gold market for years, but the catalyst that was put in place was zero or negative interest rates on a global basis. Mm -hmm. My own personal belief is that the reckoning with regards to the U.S. Treasury market won't occur for 12 to 18 months. In my own point of view, that occurred. That that is true because European markets are in even more more turmoil than North American markets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that as much as a trillion euros of private investment will come out of Europe into the North American markets in the next 18 months. And that paradoxically, we will likely see relatively strong U.S. dollar simultaneously uh, occurring with relatively strong gold prices, which we've only seen twice before in my career, uh, late 1975 and 2002. In both cases, uh, gold, the dollar eventually rolled over in the interim, and the gold price did extremely well. Past doesn't need to be prologue. But I think that the catalyst for higher gold prices has already been put in with these zero and, in fact, negative real interest rates on a global basis. When the top will occur, uh, I think, is very much a function of when or if the global economy becomes strong enough that you see a, 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 an actual positive real interest yield. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, it's it's hard for me to see that. You're su- you're suggesting 12 to 18 months in terms of the U.S. Treasury market, perhaps uh, because it will still be seen as the dollar will be seen as a flight to safety, along with gold, perhaps, and so both can rise. And we've seen some of that happening recently. I mean, the dollar has been pretty strong. Gold hasn't really gotten whacked. It's been behaving pretty well, I would say. Correct. The Treasury yield now is what one and a half. Uh, means it's substantially higher than the euro, and the uh, political and economic problems, our presidential race notwithstanding, uh, in North America relative to Europe means that North America is seen as a as a relatively decent risk off trade. Um, Doug Casey likes to say, I think the prettiest mare at the slaughterhouse describes the U.S. Treasury market. That, that may be a little gloomy, but I think ironically we're in we're in for a period where the treasury market, the ten year treasury market, is relatively strong, and the gold market is simultaneously relatively strong. Well, I remember it very well in the nineteen seventies, Rick, for sure, when interest rates were certainly rising. Uh, but that didn't stop the gold price because the real interest rates were okay. even falling. So, you know, it's uh, inflation picking up, and there seems to be a little bit of that even now, possibly. Uh, and yet they can't seem to bring themselves to increasing uh, interest rates in any meaningful sense because the stock market, as David Stockman likes to say, throws a hissy fit every time they do it. So it looks like um, it looks like we have a long time to run here, Rick. Uh, uh, at least a few years, possibly at least a couple, two, three years to start with. But we want to watch it on an ongoing basis. So I hope we can have you back again to talk about it from time to time. You or some of your other fine people. We do hope to have Paul Wong on the show. He's agreed to come on sometime in the near future. His insights. He's a brilliant trader. Has been around for for quite a few years. Uh, really appreciated meeting him and all the other folks that you had up there at Sprott. Thank you very much, Rick, for the invitation, and also thanks for coming on the show, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon, I hope. Always a pleasure, Jay. I, I think I'm going to be seeing you in New Orleans. Is that correct? I'm not scheduled yet, but I guess I should try to make the trip once. I, I really yeah. should get down there. Yeah, Absolutely. I look forward to seeing you somewhere sometime. We can compare notes again. Okay. Thank you very much, Rick. Well, that is all the time we have this week, folks. Uh, next week, David McIlvaney will be with us. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more newlegacygold.com that's n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com again n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the 
symbols NVO and NSRPF respectively. 